0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Survival Show Podcast. I'm David, the founder of Ultimate Survival Tips and your host for today's show. Having a bug-out bag and a well-thought-out evacuation plan is an essential preparedness strategy for us all, as man-made and natural disaster threats seem to be increasing in number. So today, I'm going to start a new series called Bug-Out Boot Camp with a special guest co-host who I had the honor of training with in the Amazon jungle a few years ago and who has served in various capacities in the US military, special operations, and with several intelligence and law enforcement agencies, my friend, Mr. Tyler White. Today, Tyler and I are gonna discuss four lessons learned from the special forces on bugging out of enemy territory, bug out tips from Chief Geronimo that helped him evade capture for years, how to confidently eliminate unneeded gear from your bug out bag and still have everything you need, one mistake that will probably get you killed when bugging out, plus three keys that can virtually guarantee your bug out success, and a lot more. But before we get into all this great content, let me ask you a question. Do you love the informative and family-friendly survival, preparedness, and personal growth content that we share with you every week? If so, can you do me three solid favors right now? First, help me accomplish our goal of doubling our audience size in the next three months by one, sharing this, your family-friendly preparedness podcast with the people you care about. Two, go leave an honest five-star review and comment wherever you listen. And three, can you help me get the additional staff that I need so that I can have a life and build out our team so that we can continue to serve up podcasts, videos, and unique survival and preparedness gear you can't find anywhere else by going over to ultimatesurvivaltips.com and subscribing to my weekly survival email newsletter. By doing so, you're going to get tips, tricks, training, and be the first to know about our new MSK1 knife and gear releases and giveaways. And while you're there, you can also grab the show notes for this podcast, including checklists and gear links, and pick up some of my survival and preparedness gear over at UltimateSurvivalTips.com Now to encourage you to help us out in this regard, I'm going to give you the biggest discount I've ever offered to our podcast listeners and that's a full 25% off anything in our store including my Made in the USA, MSK1 and Pack one Survival Knives As a thank you for your support use code SURVIVALSHOW25 at checkout over at UltimateSurvivalTips.com That's code SURVIVALSHOW25 25 for 25% off anything in our store for the next week at ultimate survival tips.com Thank you in advance for your encouragement and support. All right, let's get into today's show So Tyler white. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for co-hosting with me today, bro
1: Absolutely. How are you doing? Good. Good.
0: <laughs> it has been a long time.
1: Yeah, it's been. I was actually trying to think about how long it's been since I've been to Columbia. It's about half a decade or more. So, yeah, I remember going. I don't remember the exact dates that we were down there.
0: I think it was I th- maybe it was October 20, 2016, 2017, something like that. It I
1: had been. to have been. Yeah. Had to have been further back than that. I want to say okay. like seven, 2007 or something. I could be totally oh, wrong. No, wasn't that? <laughs>
0: so, so Tyler and I we went on one of Joe Flowers. Joe's been a a guest co-host several times on the show. And we went to Columbia with uh I don't know if it was maybe the second or third Bushcraft Global trip to Columbia. and I met Tyler there, and my first impressions of Tyler were that he was highly intelligent and he was very strong because he had the biggest backpack <laughs> going into the jungle that I think the uh, indigenous peoples ever saw.
1: (laughs) Sometimes strength comes from stupidity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tyler's going to tell us more about what he does as we go, but he is a military guy. He does have his own YouTube channel and he's a gear reviewer extraordinaire. He writes for various different outlets and all kinds of stuff like that. So as we get into the podcast, Tyler, I love to have people just kind of tell their backstories. I mean, start from You know, your earliest remembrance and and take us up to today, how you got to uh, where you're at and, you know, why you went to Columbia and what you're doing now.
1: So I always feel like I'm dumping a list on people when I give them that kind of a backstory. And I feel like I should be like, so there I was popped out of my mama. First thing I thought, you know, (laughs) just kidding. But um, a lot of my childhood was on a ranch we had one ranch in a place called Chesterfield, Idaho. And then we lost, we, the collective family lost part of it and then moved away, lived in Southern Utah, Arizona, which was, I'm coming to realize kind of formative when it comes to my drive to spend time in the desert and then come back to Southeastern Idaho again and lived on a different ranch. And A lot of that basically drove me to trying to find a job that would pay me to go camping and spend time in the mountains and when i was a kid i always wanted to work in alaska as a hunting guide or ranching or something and didn't quite pan out that way i ended up going to alaska in 98 as a rafting guide and then ocean kayaking and then coming back up there again later as a mountaineering guide and taking people in helicopters so it's kind of like I aimed for one goal and drifted off to another one. I got into the National Guard in the military when I was 17. I worked as a forward observer, and they're the people that fly out in helicopters and live in a hole for a week and shoot lasers at things and call in close air support and other people blow it up. So that was that was pretty awesome. A lot of bug out theory really comes from the military, and I learned it the first eight or nine years I was working as a Ford observer because you, we would go out on an OP or an observation post and stay there for three days, seven days, whatever amount of time. And one of the best kinds of advice I had from a Sergeant when I was a kid was bring a notepad and a pen, write down everything you wanted that you didn't have. And then when you get home, write down everything you brought that you didn't need. And you eventually after a couple times kind of narrow it down to what you think you need versus what you actually need. And you just get rid of all that extra junk because weight will destroy you. The military is great at saying, okay, you got your personal stuff. Now let's add a hundred pounds of body armor, bullets, batteries, glid computers, all that other stuff. And now walk from here to that other mountain. Right? So there's a, steep but positive learning curve there and then as i got older i needed education and i switched over to a special forces unit while i was waiting for a top secret security clearance i went into network engineering that's how i got better at computers and networking and mesh networks and all that stuff and eventually moved into intelligence they have these things called special operations team a and team b and i worked until i was a trainer with those guys and then eventually. Went on to work for three later agencies, federal law enforcement. Did some time in Afghanistan down in Helmand as a contractor. And now I'm here. So the Columbia thing, I'm friends with one of the guys at tops knives and he knew Joe at the time and they wanted me to help do videography on that trip. So they ended up sponsoring me to go do that trip with Joe so that they had a representative there to make content and create photography so that's why we had so many knives and so much stuff in that that backpack my tactical tailor rucksack <laughs> i've still got it and it still smells like the jungle but um <laughs> we uh brought all that kit down there and the jungle is an amazing place for photography all the light is diffused and it comes in from the right angles like it's beautiful because there's there's ways that you can do photography, but it will destroy cloth and it will destroy videography equipment. I learned a few things from you when we were on that trip and ended up switching from Canon to Sony. And now I've got some anchor solar panel and power film solar panels and mm-hmm. basically learned about two different types of solar systems. One of them will short out if one shadow crosses your solar panel, which I had there in the jungle and don't use those ever anymore. And the other ones will... They use like 1% less output, so they're not quite as powerful, but they don't short out if a leaf falls on them, so they're way more reliable. So anyway, that's kind of a little bit of my background, state and federal law enforcement on the civilian side, forward observer, worked in a special forces unit on the military side. I'm a gear whore that tries to go in the mountains without any gear, and I realize the irony behind that, but that's kind of been my – driven purpose is what's the best gear followed by how much gear do i really need followed by i can do this without gear and it kind of put me on this hunt for knowledge because as an example the matisse the native indigenous people in the jungle they don't need any gear they just they make blow guns out of the stuff that are there shoot the monkeys in the trees eat the food that's around them and they can just live off of what's there Mm-hmm. i'm not saying i don't like gear i'm just saying that there is a way to live in almost any environment with what's already there and i'm very intrigued by that so my youtube channel is called TJAC survival it's t-j-a-c-k survival and i kind of went down the rabbit hole on primitive skills on that channel trying to figure out what do i really need versus what do i really what do i want and as an example water even in the in the desert you, you need to start out with a lot of water, but then you need to know where the water is and go to it. That way you don't have to carry a lot of water and mm-hmm. anywhere where there's trees. I mean, you can make beds and shelters and traps and bow drills and hand drills and tinctures and drinks and teas all out of trees. So there's, there's a food sources that are already out there. There's shelter, water, fire sources that are growing out there. So I'm going to rabbit here a little bit, but I think part of the reason that I chase that. And I spent some time in Afghanistan and as a contractor, you're not going in and out of the country with a firearm. There's a lot of time where you're kind of hanging your butt out in the wind and hoping you don't get nabbed by someone. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I watched POWs get rolled up and end up in the orange jumpsuit. And I had to have a real solid conversation with myself about what happens if that happens to me. So the only fallback when all of your equipment is taken away is your personal physical fitness and your ability to replicate the indigenous tribe's techniques on the land that you're in, meaning the Bedouins of the desert or the Apache of the western desert or in the Matisse of the jungle. And if you don't have that knowledge set, you're going to starve to death sitting next to food that you can eat. You're going to freeze to death sitting next to trees you can turn into fire. Like, Yeah, there's a lot of knowledge there that needs to be learned. I'm kind of rambling here, but one example is I have this hat and it says, what would Geronimo do WWGD? And it's got a picture of Geronimo. And I immediately thought that was awesome and hilarious at the sight of it. And it's about the most perfect survival hat because Geronimo would steal your horse, he would ride it for 76 miles, kill it, eat it, turn it into clothes and shoes, run for hundred miles, shoot somebody, take their horse and do the whole thing again. Well, the U S military at the time was barely covering 12 miles a day because they were too heavy too much equipment they're like an artillery piece but geronimo was like light infantry no one could keep up with him because he had he could turn his lunch into clothing and knew where all the water holes were and even if you did roll up on a spot where there's a water hole he'd drink out of it and then he'd cover it in sand so that you couldn't find it and you had to turn around and there's something intriguing to me about that kind of local knowledge and natural knowledge that i just think is fun like and i think that bugging out should correlate with that as an example the special forces have ingress and egress routes they have cash sites they have a pace plan primary alternative contingent emergency plans that go all the way down from the communication they're going to use what type what frequency if this happens we're going to do that they have money that they'll keep spread out or in a pile so they can buy their ways out of countries. Like they really got it down because they're basically going in a 12 man team to a foreign country linking up with people that may or may not be their friends and if it goes south, they have to have a plan to get out. That's the original real bug out. Like when I was in Afghanistan, bug out bags were a backpack with an extra 14 magazines, extra batteries, extra communication frequencies written on a piece of paper that you could destroy quickly so that if you your primary plan goes to crap you go to the the alternative plan and then a food water and medical and that's all that was in the bag i mean there's no i'm going to go start a fire like you need to live long enough to start a fire right all of my planning and all of my ideas on bug out contingency All of those things are based on what I learned in the military, what I've seen traveling the land with nothing, and what I've tried to deduce from events that have happened like 9-11, or the Bosnia-Herzegovina problem, or the things that I saw in Afghanistan. If it all goes south right now, what do we do? And survival is just risk mitigation, right? So... If you have a plan for if it all goes south right now, you just start following the plan. You're not going to spend any time trying to decide, oh no, the trade tower just went down. What am I going to do? Well, I had a plan, so I've got shoes, I've got socks, I've got cash, and I'm the only person that can get away from downtown because I can run for 20 miles in a horrible 20-mile time of four hours while everyone's walking for a full day because they can't ride the train station and they're wearing flat-bottom shoes and high heels, and they don't have cash to pay for the toll, right? So, small amount of prior planning will yield huge amounts of you get ahead of the herd or you actually planned and brought that one piece of survival kit that made the difference. So, anyway, I kind of talked in a circle there, but I think we've, we're we starting to answer your question on it.
0: Dude, that's really good. That's an excellent backstory and so many great tips for people to take away just in that kind of like intro. So you kind of defined it already, but I have a little bit of an outline here. Maybe we'll get this in a structured way so people can follow along with us. But
1: Wish me luck. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) But you go, you go, you're doing good. Uh, This is great. It's all great stuff. I'm honored to be learning from your lifetimes worth of experience so far and I think you're younger than I am so <laughs> maybe. who knows <laughs> we'll to talk about that um, one offline. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just define you kind of hit on it, but what is bugging out? I may throw some things back at you. I mean, is it evacuation, living off the land, getting from one place to another, never coming home? I mean, there's a lot of ideas. People have fancy ideas of what bugging out is, as if they're gonna take this big, huge backpack that weighs 100 pounds into the woods when they have very little skill. Two and a
1: half miles, and then they go home crying in regret like they did when they were six years old and tried to run away from home.
0: (laughs) Right, right. So we have this, I completely get what you're saying as far as as your journey, but you've kind of like circled back around from, like you said, you love gear, What do I absolutely need being in these different environments, challenging yourself to need almost nothing except a plan and the right mindset and some skills, but, you know, just hone in, just take it from there. What is bugging out then for the average person?
1: Let's hit two of those things, right? Okay. I'm going to use native Americans as an example. You use Apache, right? Yes. They can live off of, rats and run down horses and these things, but it's embracing the suck to its fullness. It is a brutal, hardcore slog. Like I will, I try to help co-run, a, I say co-teach. I try to tag along on the coattails of a man named David Holiday When he teaches in the desert during the summer, I try to help him run at least one or two classes a year where we go out for a week and the students will have They will literally have a square piece of cloth because they have to have a baggage of some sort and a water purification device that they don't need. That's it. Like that's all they bring with them. Some of them will bring like some medicine if they have allergies or if they're having massive nicotine withdrawals, I bring some nicotine gum. Right. But for the most part, they don't bring a knife. They don't bring a canteen they don't bring anything. Now, when I go, I have a fallback backpack because you know, we're still mortal and we make mistakes that has lighters and sat phone and that kind of stuff in it, but they'll go out for a week and there's no eating unless you catch it. There's no food unless it's growing out there. There's no drinking of water unless you know where the springs are or you boil it. There's no fish unless you can get a hold of them. No rabbits unless you can hit them with a stick. You're starving for a week. So it can be done but it's really, really hard. And a lot of the Native Americans who did it, a lot of them died. They have starvation phases. You know, with few exceptions, like the Northwestern Indians that live in uh, long homes, because they were so good at getting food and there was such a food-rich place like where the salmon run that they could stock up and just make art all winter. So those are very rare exceptions. Yeah, so you, you can go out with nothing but it takes a lot of practice and it's just way easier to bring a couple small things, right? A canteen, a knife. I always bring a lighter and a communication device. I have left them before on accident and broke them. And that's what I'm glad I know friction fires and I try to practice friction fire anyway, but all of these things are fallbacks. Yes. It's good to practice them in a safe manner, but all of these things are fallbacks let's talk about what's bug out and then let's talk about the repercussions of the land if everyone does it so from the military perspective a bug out bag that i had like i said earlier had 14 magazines a bag or medical kit some food extra water extra batteries and sometimes an extra communication device like a local cell phone or something after all the encrypted military stuff failed and what's that for well maybe we're in a three-vehicle convoy, two of them get hit with RPGs, one of them goes down, people are on foot, and you don't want to stay where the bullets are. So you exhaust your crew serve weapons, you maybe use up the ammunition on your belt, throw it in your dump pouch, grab your your bug-out bag, and go somewhere else, right? So at the lowest level, a bug-out bag is a bag of supplies that help you leave the geographical location where the bullets are flying or where the explosion happened or where the gas from the train dumped or where the chemical spills at or the cloud or whatever it is, it's a bag that gives you the ability to move to a different area where the problem's not happening. So with that said at a lowest level, the way when I teach people that I try to explain it is, look, wherever you live, there's going to be two Worst case scenario, man-made and nature-made events. I live in Utah. The worst case scenario, nature-made here is probably an earthquake. The worst man-made, and this is subjective, is probably a nuke or a war or something like that. The reality is I should see some of that coming because they got to get through the whole East Coast and the Midwest before they get to us. They got to get through California, right? So there should be a little bit of a warning but the reason why we plan against those two worst case scenarios is if you've got a plan for the worst of the worst then when the little basic things happen like oh the power went out it's a non-issue because if you're planning for an earthquake that can smash your entire house by having a i don't know a rv that won't get earthquaked, that has constant generator and gas and food in it all you do when the power goes out is go grab a generator, right? Or all you do when the big storm hits is go throw wood in the fireplace and wait till it's done, like a friend of mine did in Texas when they had all the cold. When it comes to the big man-made things, well, we're talking about uh, Ukraine happening in the U.S. It requires training and logistics, and that's a worst-case scenario, but if a lesser bad scenario like an active shooter happens, you're still trained for it. Does that make sense? Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
0: That totally makes sense. That's a really good approach. I mean, to boil it down, if you're planning for the worst of the worst, then anything less than that, you've got your preps ready for that.
1: Yeah. And the other thing, too, is we don't want to spend all of our time sheltered and worried and constantly training and, you know, getting the militia together or craziness like there's no need for that right you got to live your life in a way that's still fun like i've got a bug out vehicle that happens to be a great overlander that i'm just calling a bug out vehicle and i don't necessarily have it because i'm going to bug out in it but the difference between an overlander and a bug out vehicle is how full the gas is in it whether or not you've got food in it and how long sustaining the electric electricity is right so I actually bought a light military tactical vehicle that I'm doing an Overland series on survivalpedia. And we're trying to turn that into the ultimate bug out vehicle. All that means is I need a bigger diesel tank. I need a little more electricity capacity. I need some freeze-dried food in it, right? And that's no different than an Overlander. The Overlander is going to have fuel, but it's only going to have like 300 mile range. The Overlander is going to have the capacity for food, but you're not gonna leave it in the vehicle because you change it out every time you go on a trip. It's gonna have solar panels, but maybe not as powerful. So if you just increase the duration or capacity so that the vehicle can travel further, it can have more electricity, it can run a generator longer, that's all you're doing to turn an overlander into a bug out vehicle. Because if you got a bug out in a vehicle like that, you probably have to go to Canada or Mexico which means you need to do that on one tank or you need to have a cash site four or 500 miles from here so that you can refuel or you're not going anywhere, right? So just a slight tweak in what you've already got should yield the results you're looking for. A lot of people have RVs. I've got a camper that's in the back of my yard, and I keep a generator in that camper. It's a propane generator, and I just have two full propane tanks in there. So if we did have an earthquake that's bad enough to knock my house down, right the second it happens, my family can walk back there, turn that generator on, turn on the heater, and just live in that thing for a few days until the dust settles, right? And the difference was instead of keeping that prep in a house that might go down, I kept it separate from the house, right? If you have a home that's got you know a year's worth of food in the basement and all these amazing things, your house burns down, you're done. But if you've got that same home with a shed out back that has a plan B, or if you've got more stuff at grandma's house, and it doesn't have to be overkill. It just has to be, you know, maybe 30 days or maybe even three days or a week. That's more than nothing, right? That's more than what you're running up against currently. So just don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? If you don't spread it out a little bit, you're not really thinking about how you can mitigate the risk of what you're concerned about. Hopefully still thinking. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Excellent. That's really good stuff. So, basically, we're just talking about moving from one place to another. I mean, you may not ever be coming home, right? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and, 6-1 since that matters, and, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: So a bug-out bag is to move your geographical location so that you can come back later. So it's really a get-home bag, right? So a military bug-out bag is you were on a patrol, something bad happened, you need a bug-out. Uh, a bug out kit for a pilot is a small kit that they were in a chess rig. And it's, okay, I have to leave the plane and I'm never coming back to the plane because something went wrong. So a bug out bag should be something that helps you to get out of the affected area, whatever that is, and for whatever reason. Like if you were in downtown New York when 9-11 happened, hindsight's 2020, right? But if I, let's say I didn't know anything about the towers and I was worried about being in New York, right? The first thing I personally wants a firearm, but I can't have that. So what's the next best thing? Find a legal way to have a folding knife, whatever it is. Get a stick, roll up a thing of newspapers into a stick, like whatever you got to do. There's always plan A, B, C, and D. There's always a way to defend yourself. The other thing is if something goes down, electricity is going to be down. So if you can't use your card, you have to have cash. So like when I traveled in the Middle East, as a military contractor, I had thousands of dollars in different places on my belt, in my shoes, in a bag. Like I had spread it out a bit because if I needed it, a hundred bucks goes a long way when you're in a country where the average income for the year is about 300 bucks. So have that plan B there. The other thing in New York, you're not going to ride the subway if anything gets shut down, which means you're walking. And if you're not wearing clothes that you can walk in, that are seasonally appropriate, like you're gonna freeze to death. If the power goes out, there's not gonna be any heat and stuff just starts to cascade from there. So if you take that base level understanding and you have a bug out bag and you're living in downtown New York, first thing I would do is try to get a concealed permit. Great, that problem solved. Next thing I would do is have seasonally appropriate clothing. So if you're gonna, if it takes you 20 minutes to ride the train station to get in, to the middle of that mess and you're going to have to walk out. It's probably going to take you at least a day or so. So your bug out bag should at least have enough clothing that you can spend the night, like one of those winter suits that the military issues. You're going to need gloves. You're going to need a hat. You're going to need cash. You're going to need a lighter or two or three. You're going to need boots and shoes. Now I get a very compressible version of this and don't bring it with you in the summer because that's overkill but that's kind of how I would plan something like that is if I go to this location and an EMP happens or everything shuts down, what is my plan? Well, night number one, I can spend at my house, night number two, we're walking and I can only walk with what I carry or some kind of a plan like that. Right. I knew people that used to always have a flashlight on them in California because they had so many earthquakes. Well, an earthquake happened during the middle of the day. And even though it was the middle of the day, they were inside of a building where the lights were out and everything was falling. So they need a light. Now everyone has cell phones now and they have a light on that cell phone. So they've kind of solved that problem. But what's the next problem gonna be? Well, your battery's gonna die. Okay, maybe grab a little sling bag with a first aid kit and a battery in it that you can recharge your phone so you can last for a week, maybe some food and a little bit of cash. And suddenly, You have a really simple i don't care if it's a sling bag a little backpack something but you've just added a couple of little things that extend your duration of time before you run out of electricity heat medical and all these things you need to survive so i'm kind of ramming a little bit here but all of this goes back to layers right the base layer is what you wear every day you need to have fire water shelter food medical communications and tools and self-defense in all situations There's a lot of different ways to answer those problems. Fire can be a ferro rod or a lighter or a bow drill or whatever. Water, water's kind of like you either have it or you don't, right? You brought it with you or you find it. And if you're going to find it, you need to purify it. Shelter, that can be a lot of different things. When I grew up on a ranch in Idaho, we also had a small lumber mill on our first ranch. And we would go up and chainsaw trees. And it would be cold in the mountains. And my uncles would eat a stick of butter. I thought it was the craziest thing but they're burning through that fat and they didn't need a a coat and they're out there working in some bitter cold, but they're fine because their body has fuel to keep itself warm. So you've got your internal fuel, you've got your external fuel, you've got your coats, the stuff you're gonna need to sleep in, the fire to sleep next to you. You know, your vehicle, which can be super warm or a cold frozen coffin if it's not running. You just have to think about all of these things. So when it comes to layers, have the base layer on you, If you're straying away from safety bring a small sling bag or something fanny pack whatever you're going to be into right if it becomes further you need a bigger bag that maybe stays in your vehicle the whole time and if that's even further well now you've got your inch bag your i'm never coming home bag but your reality is your i'm never coming home bag should be this bag that gets you to a planned location that you're going to other than your home this whole idea of going up in the mountains it's great if you're super highly trained in one person during the great depression there was so many dead whitetail that people thought they went extinct and we're talking about a time where the entire society had victory gardens in their backyard and they were growing food and they were very capable of feeding themselves but the dust bowl had killed off so many crops that they were starving they were shooting cats I remember reading a story about a lady making canned donkey meat. I didn't even know you could can meat. It was horrible. But there are canned donkey meat and tumbleweeds are what this lady lived on. And she lived because she did this. But the problem is, if there is a situation where people are all bugging out to the mountains, I guarantee that small herd of deer that used to live there is now gone. And the big issue is the first people that shoot them aren't often the people that know how to preserve the meat. Or how to distribute it properly, and they only get a couple of meals off of a hind quarter, the rest of the animal goes wasted. So this idea, this like romantic ideology of I'm gonna run into the mountains and live off the land will not work if everyone else is doing it. So it's not a viable plan. If you're gonna bug out, it needs to be because you're going somewhere, right? I remember listening to a book about survival and One of the groundbreaking knowledge points that the author put in my head was the Israeli people, and they were able to survive because they are a people without a country. And part of that was because they left Egypt. And then when they got to the wilderness, they left the wilderness to the promised land. When they got to the promised land, they got driven out of the promised land, and they left that to somewhere else. And then when the Holocaust was happening, the people that stayed around died. The people that left lived because they got out of the affected area. And they even have a culture about unleavened bread where they eat the unleavened bread to remind them that if they stick around until the bread rises, they die. And if they leave now, before the bread rises, then they live because they got out of the war zone area. And you can apply this to Ukraine right now. You can apply this to Pompeii if they would have gotten off the island, all of these different locations. So being able to be quickly mobile is one of the best and underrated survival strategies I think that are out there. And the only way you're gonna do that is with a well thought out, not too heavy and overburdened survival kit that'll allow you to move through what the military calls an austere environment, which would be like Kandahar outside the gate in a way that gets you from an affected area to a safe area. So bug out bags should include something that assists you to move quickly around the riots around the fires around the smoke plumes around the oncoming army whatever it is they should get you out first and get you out farther and get you out faster than everyone else because let's face it 80 percent of the people aren't planning for this and 50 percent of those people will be negatively affected or die because of whatever the situation is so if you're actually planning this kind of stuff then do it in a way that's going to be effective so you can get out first get out further and not be stopped because you didn't bring cash or because your tire went flat you don't know how to change it or because you're cold and you didn't bring a coat something stupid just have a very base level of planning and then leave that plan a in your pocket plan b in your sling bag plan c in your backpack that stays in your car plan d at your home plan e at your rv plan f at grandma's house whatever it is And then just live your life. Be happy. Know that you've got a plan in case something goes sideways. This
0: is really good. We're we're actually, (laughs) you've circled so back around to just a bullet point that I had, the difference between a bug out bag, uh, EDC, go bag, get home bag, inch pack. I would love for you just to slow down a little bit and help people understand. You talked about layers really good, but this whole like plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. Why don't you run through that one more time?
1: Okay, so right now, I've got a wool shirt, pants, no shoes on, right? But I'm in my house. Now, if I were to leave my house, I'm going to put wool socks on and shoes. There's a snowstorm coming down sideways outside my house. So I'm probably going to put a wool vest or something warmer on and a waterproof. I have a Swazi jacket comes down mid knee. Now, I probably don't need that jacket. Right. Because I might be in a car going to the store or whatever, but it's actually sitting in my car. But if I were to leave, what happens if I get in a car accident and I'm standing on the side of the road close? Right.
0: So just to stop and put it in perspective for people who know some terminology, you've got an EDC. okay, And that's your everyday carry.
1: And let me dive deeper into that real quick. I've always got a pocket knife in my right hip. I live in a state where I've always got a pistol there, too. I've always got at least one magazine for that pistol. It's high capacity on both of them. I'm former law enforcement, so I have a ton of training on it. I will usually, because I teach survival classes and I'm a nerd, have a neck knife as well. That's a fixed blade because it's handy and it's useful. In my wallet, I've got cash, cards, IDs that will get me in and out of places, right? And I've got a Fresnel lens that starts a fire in that wallet. And I forget that it's there, it's so lightweight. In my work clothes in my chest pocket i've always got one or two lighters so i'm always with my quote survival vest i call it a survival vest because it's a filson vest that has two lighters in it (laughs) a joke but (laughs) i'm going to chase a rabbit for just a second a few years ago we had some students that got lost on a survival trip right before we got 12 hours of hail rain and sleet and i ended up going with another guy, trying to find him until about one o'clock in the morning. And we weren't able to find him until the next morning. Fortunately, they found our old fire and stayed there. But me and the other guy needed to start a fire. The other guy was vomiting, sick, not able to stand up because we'd been going for days without food. I took some food and he was not, and I'm not trying to rip on him for it, but it was almost impossible for me to start a fire that night with the lighter and wet fire. is like chemical starter. I was able to start it because I had earlier that day grabbed a bunch of Red River birch and stuff in my pocket. It was dripping wet because my pockets were wet, but I was able to get a fire started that night because of that. So I just really, really impressed on me the need to always have lighters. And I just carry one. They're cheap and they're easy. So that's an EDC level. There's fire. There's water. I'm almost always got a clean canteen. I like the 64 milliliter, half a gallon ones because I'm in the desert and I can. I always see these people with these little cup canteens of water. And I'm like, you do realize that if you have to drink a gallon of water and you have to boil that, that a third of the water goes away just from the act of initially boiling. And you have to boil that eight to 16 times a day to get a gallon. Like, you don't have time for that. So, Like, if you're going to boil water, it has to be big enough that you do it once or twice a day max, or you'll just get too exhausted and you won't do it anymore. So EDC is some version of fire, water, shelter, food that you carry on your person or you have with you every day. A heavy EDC would be – I have this sling bag that has an IFAC and an individual first aid kit inside of it. It has extra ammunition, a flashlight. I'll keep an anchor battery that you actually – talked me into getting years and years ago that I still use to keep my phone going or iPad or whatever. And then I've got a little GPS texting Garmin Mini. Garmin's amazing. I have one of those in there as well. So that's called that the heavy EDC. And it's not really heavy. It's just like, it's bigger than what's in your pocket, right? A wazoo belt I'll use whenever I travel. I have escape innovation tools that are focused on the escape innovation tools Handcuffs in the country, meaning I have Derby cuffs, Derby opening cuffs for Afghanistan, a normal handcuff keys for here. It's got to be focused. So that's kind of going down a little bit of a deeper rabbit hole, but I change my base level EDC depending upon the location that I'm going, right? If I'm going to the middle of a city, yeah,
0: well. Everything changes in the city.
1: Yeah. Like I always laugh at people that are worried about the country. I'm like, there's no two-legged critters trying to rob you and kill you in the country, right? You just yell at the cougar or shoot back and they're non-issue. So anyway, so EDC is what you can carry comfortably. And I say comfortably, because if it's uncomfortable, you won't Mm -hmm. carry
0: it. You will not carry it. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm not built for appendix carry. I'm not going to shame people who do. I watched a guy shoot himself in the junk one day appendix carrying so it happens mm-hmm. i actually had to first aid help that was a mess Ooh. so if it's uncomfortable in the appendix area you're not going to carry there so move it to a place that is comfortable right yep. it's, that's just the first thing comes to my mind i've carried yep. a pistol every day since i was 21 and now i'm 45. so find a spot that is comfortable have something counterbalance the other side so that it is comfortable or you're not going to carry it so anyway so that's your edc bug out bag is All the extra crap that would be super valuable, but you don't want to carry it around all the time. You're not going to take it with you to the mall. You're not going to bring it unless you need it as a backup to the initial stuff. Maybe you'll take that bag out to the mall. Maybe you'll leave it in your car. Whatever. Maybe a bug out bag could be like a field hospital, which is a huge medical kit. I have one in the back of my truck. I don't need it. I'm never going to carry it, but if I... I'm driving down the interstate and something bad happens. I can pull it out and help with a car accident, right? So that's kind of a bug out bag. It's starting to move into the I'm never coming home bag or the bigger bags. But it's really just a dedicated kit. So EDC is what you carry every day. Bug out bag is the thing you grab because you got to go somewhere else. But I compartmentalize it even further, meaning I don't have an extra knife in my bug out bag because I'm going to have a knife on me all the time. I don't have extra medical mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that big field hospital is in the back of my truck. I do right. have an IFAC that I can go hiking with because, you know, I don't want to carry a field hospital for seven days in the desert when I go help with a class with Dave, but I do need something in case someone, you know, whittling a old man stick and put a hole in their hand. So we got to stop the bleeding and get him out with the helicopter. So I will carry a satellite texting device and stop the bleed kit but that's it right because the desert isn't afghanistan now if it's afghanistan we've got your pistol on your hip your m4 on the front of you your cruiser served weapon on the top and a ton of ammunition for all of those things then you've got your number one thing which is you know your radio that calls an f-16 your number two thing is your crew served weapon the, the 50 caliber minigun on the top of the mrap whatever you're driving Your number three backup is your M4. And your number four backup is your pistol that you only use to suppress people while you're fixing your M4. So you got to plan because the number one thing that's going to kill you is the enemy, right? Not heat or water or any of those other things. And you're wearing body armor that has bullets and batteries and medical and tourniquets and nine-line calls for fire sheets and artillery and all that other stuff. So – that's your EDC, but it's because you're in an austere war zone, right? Here's a good example. When you and I went to Colombia, I had a plan because right when we went down there, it was after this, the FARC had a ceasefire. And the FARC is a guerrilla revolutionary movement, right? So my plan was this. I knew there was probably no, nothing going to happen. But if everything went south, I had a little wrist compass on my wrist, and I was just going to walk straight west until i ran into the amazon river and then float on something until i ran into a city and it was inevitable that i was going to run into a city and that was the best base plan right i could have walked south i could have walked in a bunch of different other directions if i went east i would have gone for a thousand miles before i run into someone in the jungle would have killed me but just having a little bit of proper prior planning and knowing the geography of the location before i went there gave me the ability to say probably nothing's going to go south but if it does I walk west until I run into the Amazon River and I ride it south until I run into the city we came from, right? So it just takes a little bit of planning, a little bit of forethought, a little bit of if this goes south, here's the plan, and then a little bit of planning in your bug out. You don't have to go crazy. You just have to have a little more kit, right? Again, I'm kind of rambling, but I'm thinking of Mount Hood because I'm looking out at the snow right now. People will start in the day, the afternoon looks great, they got the running clothes on, a winter storm moves in and dumps two feet, now they're freezing to death. All it would have taken them is a small backpack with a waterproof jacket and pants and some running skills to get out of that. But a lot of people will shut down, they'll stop moving and they'll freeze to death because they just didn't have a little bit more, right? Most people freeze to death for want of one more layer. So a lot of people say, oh, all needs a coat. Well, maybe you need a coat and a layer for your bottom, not just a coat. And all you have to do is throw that in a bag and walk with it. And many times people have given me crap for bringing too much stuff. And four hours later, those same people are like, hey, you care if I borrow your thing that you brought that I was making fun of you earlier? It happens all the time. So that's EDC. That's bug out. That's simple planning is just one more layer more than what you currently got on you.
0: Yeah, I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't hear this often, Todd, this whole layering, scaling thing. And I approach it the same way. I approach my EDC and I scale up from there. Heavy EDC would be basically a light max expedition pack that has some extra water, some water purification, survival kit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's always going to go with me for training purposes. It may be anywhere from 10 most often about 20 pounds because now I'm training as I go just on a walk with my wife. Yeah, so I'm basically living my life, like you were saying, and Mm -hmm. I'm just scaling up based on distance. If I'm going more than walking distance or the amount of ground that I can carry in a brisk walk, potentially getting some alternative vehicle like a bicycle or hitching a ride or running... Which I generally characterize, because we live in the mountains here also, approximately 20 to 30 miles I could cover in a day with a light EDC, which, you know, some people call it a get-home bag. yeah, just light EDC. You know, and what I even do within those kits is I'll just scale up the kit a little bit, just like you're saying. If it's cooler out, I might throw a shamog in, a hat a pair of gloves and take my down vest and pack it down real tight and shove it in the bottom
1: right yeah firefighters do a lot of this i actually got a lot of this information i want to give him credit from my friend his pen name is cache valley survivalist but he and i have been talking for 10 12 years about survival i make video content he makes articles we're always bouncing ideas off of each other but firefighters have a go bag And essentially what they'll do is, with their suspenders on and their boots, they'll drop their suspenders to the floor and take their feet out of the boots. So all they have to do is run over to their boots, step in their boots, pull their suspenders up, throw their coat on, put their helmet on. Soldiers do the same thing. We have this little cross. It's just a wooden cross. And your helmet would be – I would put mine in the front of the cross, and I would fold my body armor inside out over the top of the cross. So all I could do is lean down, fling it up over the top of me, Put the helmet on my head, my machine gun sitting right there, and then I could be ready to go in, you know, 15 seconds. But that's all in layers, meaning you gotta have your uniform on if you're just gonna throw your body armor on top of it. So that would be your EDC and then your bug out, right? And the whole layers thing too. I teach some of this stuff from my church, and the church approach is gonna be more of finances and food and less of austere environment, but the principles are the same. And one thing I get is always some young unmarried mom. That's like, I can't do this. This is overwhelming. How do I do all these things? And the answer is you don't, you do it one bite at a time, right? So if you're trying to do your food storage in layers, every time you buy food storage, you buy one or two extra cans of beans or whatever it is that you eat. Now, next time you do it, you buy a couple more. Next time you do it, you buy a couple more. It, as long as you're constantly doing a little more than you're using you will eventually over time build up food storage instead of worrying about buying water you just refill milk cartons if you're already drinking milk right there's a way to do a lot of this stuff without it being overboard or too much and i say that because when it comes to this edc or this layering you don't need to buy a knife for every bag you don't need a medical kit for every bag you don't need a communication kit for every bag you need to say my wallet is always my wallet i'm never going to have another wallet right my pocket knife is always my pocket knife. I might throw a different pocket knife in another bag because I got a lot of them because I demoed them and I like choices. But if I do that, when I grab that other bag, I'll take the other one out so that I'm only leaving with one pocket knife because I don't need a bunch of them, right? So when you're doing it in layers, remember that kits are maneuverable, right? Like I've got a cooking kit that's in a little toiletries bag that's really ultra light, but it's got oil and salt and pepper and caffeinated drinks and stuff and it's really light and i can throw it in any other bag so when i go out and teach survival classes i'll grab that cooking kit because i know we're going to kill some rabbits and i hate eating rabbits musky rabbits with no oil or anything on them they're not tasty and we always joke the sign of a true survivalist is the man who knows to bring spice for the meat
0: (laughs) great your basic spice kit great
1: yeah but I don't have a spice kit for every bag i have one spice kit and i move it from thing to thing to thing right now it's sitting in a net in the back of my truck because if i go anywhere on any trip be it skiing or snowmobile or teaching survival classes it's going to be in my truck and when i get there i'll be like oh where's my spice kit grab that where's my cup and my food grab that i've got a couple things that can build what i need from the back of my truck so that no matter where i'm at or even if i'm you know going to walmart with my wife we need something for whatever reason it's sitting back there right i've got a winter kit that's in a bag it's in a go bag in the back of there we just drove down to saint george and come back yesterday when the kids got cold or tired i just pulled out a military marshmallow suit i don't know if you're familiar with those
0: mm-hmm.
1: they're the e-wix level seven or whatever but I pulled one of those out and gave it to the kid and it's like wrapping up in a sleeping bag and he goes to sleep and he's out right so we're not saying you have to use and have this stuff because of the zombie apocalypse that's going to happen on friday we're saying you have this stuff so if the zombie apocalypse happens you're ready but the reality is it's probably not going to happen and in the meantime it's super useful for everything else like when your kid wants to take a nap or Maybe you run out of gas and then you can just go to sleep in the back of your car instead of freeze to death tonight and deal with the problem in the morning, right? It just prolongs death. It kicks it away because you did something really simple to plan against it because you mitigated the risk.
0: Tyler, this is fantastic and we are right up against our time and we've only gotten to bullet point number two. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome dude that is so awesome i, I knew this I was gonna happen too much. Say, no you did yeah. not talk too much this is great but you are the second easiest podcast guest i've ever had <laughs> because Hopefully i just
1: the first one's your mom <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs>
0: i love a guest that's so knowledgeable and capable that i can say hey welcome to the show and hey thanks for being on the show how can people find you <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's funny.
0: <laughs> so, just wrapping this up, why don't we come back? I'm down. And do a second podcast. And what we'll do is we'll get into maybe a little bit more specifics. You really touched on a lot of things here. But we'll, again, just recap when to bug out. We'll get a little bit more like maybe outline oriented. Again, getting back to alternate routes, knowing where you're going to go. We we'll talk about some mindset things let's get into like some gear too we'll just talk about like hey what do we use for this particular aspect and why because you and i have both tested gear for you a it's probably been a little bit longer but like you know for me it's been yeah. 10 12 years professionally and like even packs like people don't know what to carry you know yeah tactical timmy who's just going off of what he sees on youtube He's going to grab himself a camo pack with lots of molly webbing
1: and a really big, heavy knife, <laughs>
0: <laughs> a really big heavy knife and, you yeah. know, a thousand rounds of ammo. Right. So why don't we come back and do that? But before we go, let's give people a couple of action steps. And I'm sure you have a couple to take away from here so that they can get started and be more prepared at the end of this podcast and throughout the next week until the next podcast. And, you know, be one step closer to being better prepared. Once you throw out a couple, let's see
1: what you got. I think the best action is this. You probably have already what you need. Okay. Uh I sell gear, but I'm not telling you to go out and buy it. Like get in your house, get a box. If you're a married person with kids, put the go box, put treats, put a note in there to remind you to get medication and the kid's favorite blanket or whatever. You know put those things in a box and then if something happens grab your box get in the vehicle and go keep your tank at a half and above keep cash around like a thousand dollars at least enough that you can fill up your tank multiple times and get into another country i think that's a very basic good place to start you already have what you need you just need to organize it in a manner that you can have quick access to it in case something happens there's more productive and in-depth ways of doing this. But for now, if you're just starting, have a plan, leave a note so that if something bad happens, you can go to your box and say, okay, my box has these things in it and I need to add these things before I get out the door and now I'm good. Like that's a very basic level.
0: That's really, really, really good and simple. I'd just throw in a couple of things for people to be considering because they take a little bit longer. I would just encourage everyone, including myself, to just be disciplined and eat right, get fit, because you just never know.
1: Yes. Yes. I always forget stuff like that. And it sounds a little arrogant, but I forget stuff like that because my entire life, I've had a PT test every six months. So, mm-hmm. like, if you're not doing those basic things, like, we got to back up and hit it grade school Barney level. Yeah, you should be dressing right. You should have clothes that allow you to move through your environment without adding layers. You should be physically fit, capable of causing big distances. And if you've got medical issues, take care of what you can take care of and have medication for what you can't. Because everyone eventually breaks down. Like, I'm not going to shame someone because they're 80, but I will shame you if you're 35 and way more than me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, one more I have is just don't wait until we do the next podcast and actually talk maybe a little bit more about actual specific items and maybe brands even. Don't wait. Be ready. Get started now. I like this whole box plan. Food, fire, water, shelter, first aid. Start there. I will tell people that I am going to go ahead and post something that I did a couple of years ago, and I'm continually updating it. A uh, bug out bag checklist, which is really basic. In fact, this particular checklist was I went into a dollar store and I made a $49 bug out bag that has about everything that Tyler talked about today. And we'll put that with the show notes for the show. So Tyler, before we head on out of here, how can people find you, bro?
1: So I do independent video consulting because of that. I'm all over the place. My personal channel is TJAC survival, T J A C K survival. I have a lot of old stuff, primitive knowledge on there. That's really good the one i've been working with the most this last year is survival dispatch it's a fairly large channel we've got a huge email list you can go to survivaldispatch.com you can go to survival dispatch on youtube reach out if you see a video i made and you leave a comment i will try to reply on it so survival dispatch is another place TJX survival is the main place i also have t those are the kind of quick ways to do it on Facebook, Instagram, website, YouTube, it's all just T-Jack Survival and Survival Dispatch.
0: Awesome, dude, I appreciate you taking the time. Let's circle back and continue this discussion about bug out. What do you think? I'm game. All right, man, thanks a lot. Thanks, we'll see ya. Now, before we head out of here, I'd like you to do two things to help us help others learn how to be prepared now before disaster strikes. First, Please pay it forward by sharing our family-friendly content with the ones you love on social media. And then go give us a five-star rating and honest review wherever you listen to this podcast. And second, go over to our mothership, mothershipultimatesurvivaltips.com and check it out. There's a lot of free content like our weekly survival emag newsletter, blog, news articles, and a lot more. And while you're there, check out my MSK1 knives, all the everyday carry survival gear that I designed for you and the ones you love. And while you're there, don't forget to click on the podcast tab to get the show notes PDF with links to the things we discussed today. And don't forget to use code SURVIVALSHOW25 for 25% off our award-winning MSK1 knives and Amazon best-selling tiny survival and first aid guides for the next week over at ultimatesurvivaltips.com. All right, everybody, I think that's about it. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Until then, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.